1: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Jeremiah.
0: Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting
2: for you with every sunrise. There is nothing quite as strengthening to our faith as in those moments when we resist those potential for compromise. When we stand strong and we don't yield to compromise, man, that has an intrinsic strengthening effect. And I think at times God gives us an opportunity. And that's what he's doing here. And the Rechabites passed the test. And for that, God commended them and he blessed them.
1: In your faith, have you ever had moments when you want to compromise? Have you ever been faced with enough temptation in the right moment that it causes you to want to give up on what you know is true? In today's message, Pastor Gary wants you to know that if you want to experience closeness with God like never before, you need to focus on never compromising. The going will always get tough, and the only way to overcome is through staying steadfast in God's Word. Stand firm for the gospel. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 35, as he continues his message, A Principled Life.
2: Jonadab just basically imposed this among his own people, And said, you know, it's not good for us to drink wine. And he asked that every succeeding generation would avoid alcohol. And so they complied. They were compliant for centuries in this regard. It was probably something more uh, akin to a Nazarite vow. Those of you who understand a little bit about your Old Testament scriptures, you know that that, uh, and, and we see this reflected even in the New Testament too. Sometimes Jews would take a voluntary Nazarite vow and part of the Nazarite vow included the abstinence from anything of the grape or the vineyard, and including alcohol. And it was basically a statement that one did not want to be under the influence of anything other than God. And so it's probably something similar to that, where Jonadab, one of their ancestors here within the Rechabites, said, I don't want us to be drinking alcohol. And so nobody did, and they were faithful to that uh, throughout all the following generations. So this is who they are, and this is what they were known for. Uh, but before we talk about how their story applies to our lives today, I just want to kind of um, recap what's going on here in Jeremiah chapter 35. Since the Babylonians have been besieging Judah now for 20 years, Jerusalem has not yet fallen, because we're reading here, this is during the reign of King Jehoiakim, okay? So still there's a king of of Judah in place in Jerusalem. And since the Rechabites lived among the people of Judah, when the Babylonians are besieging Judah, the Rechabites are looking at their living conditions, and they're realizing, probably not the best to be living in tents, While bombs are, well, they didn't have bombs, but you know, while while warfare is going on around us, right? And so they realize this is not good shelter. So they roll up their tents and they go to the city of Jerusalem, which was a fortified city, still had not yet at this time been taken by Nebuchadnezzar. They knock on the door. They say, hey, listen, we've been good longtime friends. We're kind of kissing cousins. We like to find refuge here in the fortified city of Jerusalem. And the Israelites are like very accommodating. They're like, yes, of course, come in. And so the Rechabites come into Jerusalem. We find out there in verse 11 by their own testimony. This is why they're in Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar's besieging Judah. It's unsafe. It's warfare. We rolled up our tents. We sought shelter here within the fortified city of Jerusalem. That's why they're there. And so... God tells Jeremiah in the first two verses of this chapter, I want you to gather all the Rechabites together here in Jerusalem into one of the side rooms of the temple. Now, the temple had different side rooms, and typically it was for the Levites to have housing and also for there to be storage for the temple. So when the Rechabites are gathered by Jeremiah into one of the side rooms of the temple, it means there weren't that many of them. In fact, it tells us in verse 3 that Jeremiah invited a guy, one of the Rechabites, by the name of Jezaniah, his brother, and all their sons. So how many would that number? We have two brothers and we have their sons. Talking maybe a dozen people, maybe a little bit more, give or take. And, And so this group gathers in one of the side rooms here at the temple by instruction of the Lord, Jeremiah's faithful to put out the call, the Rechabites come, they gather together in this room. And then God makes a very unusual request. He tells Jeremiah to give them some wine. Now, I say that this is an unusual request because, as we've just read here in chapter 35, the Rechabites don't drink wine. They don't drink wine. And yet God is saying to Jeremiah, pull them all together, put them at a table, and put wine in front of them. All right? They don't drink wine. This is like putting a Coke in front of a Mormon. They don't do that. All right? And so this is what God is instructing. Now, a couple of things to clarify this scene here. First is this. Don't get sidetracked by the side issue. The issue here is not alcohol. And this is not going to be a sermon on alcohol, and some of you are relieved about that, I'm sure. (laughs) But, you know, don't look at this story and say, "Okay, well, the message is alcohol, the Rechabites didn't drink, and so we shouldn't. Well, if you share that conviction, then you shouldn't. But also don't read this and think, well, God served up a little Merlot to go, so we can too, you know? What's good enough for God, good enough for me. All right, red, red wine, make me feel so fine. I get it, Bob Marley, but listen to me. This is not about the subject of alcohol, not per se. This, this is just a, this is a side issue, but it's not the issue. The other thing I want to point out here in this story, because it looks a little unusual what God is doing here, He is not tempting the Rechabites. He's not tempting the Rechabites. How do we know? For two reasons. Number one, James 1 verse 13 tells us, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So God's not tempting them. Well, then what is this? Well, what we learn here is that God is not setting the Rechabites up for failure. God is setting them up for success. And by that I mean... God knows their character and their principles, and he knows that they will refuse the wine. And so God is going to use the Rechabites as an example of principled people who live by their convictions, and it'll be a sharp contrast to the people of that day who had no regard for God or for God's commandments. So God is actually putting them in a position not to tempt them but to prove them to show them faithful to use them as an example a good example of people who will live by their principles in a very unprincipled world. And so let me recap the events here. Look again at your Bibles, verse 5. This is Jeremiah. He says, "Then I set before, then I set bowls full of wine" And some cups before the men of the Rechabite family and said to them, Bottoms up. I mean, that's, that's the modern translation. That's what he does. He says, drink some wine. He puts out some, came of wine. He puts out some wine glasses. He said, all right, guys, I know you've probably been wondering why I've gathered you here. I just want you to do a little wine sampling for me. Go ahead. Drink up. And they, they look at him. They got that deer in the headlight look. And they're like, uh, excuse me, you you know about us. This is verse 6. They replied, we do not drink wine because our forefathers, Jonadab, our forefather Jonadab, son of Rechab, gave us this command. Neither you nor your descendants must ever drink wine. And then they, they just go on to kind of review their own history with Jeremiah. They restate their principles and they politely refuse. Said, so, no, we're, we're not going to drink this. And so God commends them in this story as people of principle who obeyed the commands of their forefather at a time when God's own people were not obeying the commands of their heavenly father. You see what's going on here? God is intentionally using them as a good example. He's using the Rechabites who were people of principle. They were like, okay, we're, we're obeying the command of our forefather. We're not drinking wine here today. And we never have and we never will. And God is saying to the people of Judah, do you see these people? you see these people? You could avoid the Babylonian onslaught if you would obey my commands the way that they're obeying the command of their forefathers not to drink wine. But because the people of God refused, because they rebelled against God, because they rejected the commands of God, they're going to suffer the consequences for it. And so God is actually using the Rechabites like a mirror. For, the, for his own people. Say, I want you to look at them. I want you to realize how it's possible in your day to be living with principle while everybody else is not. To be people who honor God with conviction and, and who stand for, for what you know is right and, and honorable and good and true. And God uses the Rechabites as a model example in this regard. Look, look further here in verse 12. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Go and tell the men of Judah and the people of Jerusalem, Will you not learn a lesson and obey my words, declares the Lord. Jonadab, son of Rechab, ordered his sons not to drink wine, and this command has been kept. To this day they do not drink wine, because they obey their forefathers' command. But I have spoken to you again and again, yet you have not obeyed me. And so God goes on to talk about how the, the Rechabites are a good example of people who were principled in a very unprincipled world. And here's how their story applies to our lives. Three, three simple points. The first one, when we look at, at what they're known for, the first one that applies to us is this. They were tent-dwelling nomads without a real attachment to this world. And it's a picture for us. It's a reminder to us. We're only passing through, friends. We are not to get too attached to this world or seduced by it. We only are temporarily occupying it. We have temporary citizenship for a purpose, for a reason. Paul says in Philippians 3.20 that our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter would say to us in his epistle, 1 Peter one seventeen that we should live our lives as strangers here in reverent fear, the fear of God. And Peter adds in 1 Peter 2.11, we are aliens and strangers in the world, and we should abstain from sinful desires which war against our souls. So because we're aliens and strangers in this world, because we're only passing through, because our ultimate citizenship is in heaven, and we await a Savior from there, and that's going to be our ultimate reward, we will at times feel strangely out of place in this world. And for good reason. We are aliens and strangers. There's a reason we don't always feel like we fit in. There's a reason why you will feel like odd man out at the Christmas party. There's a reason that you're going to constantly feel like, man, you know, why is, why is it such a, a struggle at times? You know, the values that I stand for and, and the standards of God's word, such, such conflict with the world. It, it's because we're not meant to be here forever we're passing through, our ultimate citizenship is in heaven. However, there's a reason why we are here, and the whole life of a Christian can be summarized in three terms. Here they are. Occupy, influence, and evangelize. While you and I are still here on earth, though this is not our ultimate home, we are supposed to occupy, influence, and evangelize. Let me just touch on these three things very, very briefly. The first word is occupy. In, in Luke chapter 19, there's a conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. His disciples actually start the conversation. They want to know when the kingdom of God is going to come. When's the fullness of the kingdom? They, they want that ultimate reward and that ultimate kingdom life. And Jesus then launches into a parable called the Parable of the Ten Minas in Luke chapter 19. And in that parable, he teaches a very important point, and it's Luke 19, verse 13. He says to them, it's King James, but he says, Occupy till I come. Now, New King James and ESV uses the word, um, do business until I come. And what Jesus was teaching was this. That while we're still here on earth, though this is not our ultimate destination, our citizenship is in heaven, we're passing through, we are still nevertheless to occupy, to do business until Jesus comes. We're to live out our lives. We're to get jobs. We're to raise families. We are to enjoy life and enjoy what God has given us and be good stewards of what God has given us. But don't check out. You know, live your life to the fullest for the glory of God and be good stewards of all that He's blessed you with and occupy till He comes. Do business till He comes. That's the first word. The second word there is influence. And it's out of Matthew five thirteen and 14 where Jesus says about us, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. And He tells us that we are salt and light. Now, time doesn't permit me to do a whole teaching on that. But basically, salt has three main aspects. It's flavoring, it is is preserving, it's a preservative, and it's an antiseptic. And light, of course, is what penetrates darkness. And so the idea behind salt and light in general is just simply this. We are to be flavoring and illuminating our world for the glory of God. And we should be constantly doing that. Salt and light flavoring and illuminating our world for the glory of god not hiding our lives not not you know hiding that light under the bushel but but giving glory to god and being an influence in our world wherever we go and then the third word that defines us is evangelize this is part of the great commission out of matthew 28 19, and 20 this is where jesus commanded us you go into all the world's teaching them to obey what I have said, and, and making disciples of all men, baptizing them. And, and In other words, bringing people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's, that's our joy and privilege, to occupy, to influence, and to evangelize. So while we're here on earth, though this is not our ultimate home, we are to be about these things. And, and yet we are to be mindful that we're only passing through. And the Rechabites remind us of this. They were tent dwelling people. They were nomads. They, they were not attached to a geographical location. Be very careful, friends. Don't get too attached to this world. And don't be seduced by it. We're only passing through. The other similarity here that I see with the Rechabites, number two, is that they remain true to their principles and values despite what was set before them. Again, the Rechabites were principled people living in an unprincipled world. People were doing all kinds of things in violation of God's commands all around them. And yet God holds the Rechabites up as great examples of principled people. And I just want to remind us in in, in an encouraging way that God sees the simple ways that we hold true to our convictions, even if They are not specific commands of the Bible. Here's what I mean by that. There's going to be different choices and decisions that you and I have to make that there may not be a specific chapter and verse in the Bible concerning. And there will be many choices in the course of life that we will have to decide as Christians based on the overall counsel of God's Word And how we personally feel convicted about certain things. And the ultimate desire, of course, in our lives should be to give glory to God. What is it about our lives that constantly should be giving glory to God? And so we'll be confronted with some things set before us from time to time. And we'll have to be making decisions About those things. And again, there may not be a specific verse dealing with that particular decision or that particular behavior. And so it's in those moments that we have to really rely on the Holy Spirit and the overall counsel of God's Word. God did not command the Rechabites not to drink alcohol. This was a self-imposed kind of a family thing that they voluntarily took on And they complied with it because one of their ancestors, Jonadab, had said so. That's it. It was not a command of God. They were doing this as a personal conviction. You will have plenty of personal convictions in your life about certain things that you should abstain from because you want to honor God and certain things that you do because you want to honor God. Don't let anyone dissuade you otherwise. You be true to those principles. It may not be principles that other people share. It's okay. If that's your principle, you stick to that because you know that as far as it concerns you, it, it honors God in a way. So you have to be careful to be people of principle and don't let other people talk you out of it and say otherwise. Paul would say in first Corinthians six twelve, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. And he adds, everything is permissible, but I will not be mastered by anything. And that's an important verse for all those all those situations that have no particular verse. And then we're wondering, what should I do about this? What should be my conviction about this? What should be the standard for my life, the standard for my family? Well, find out what that is, as far as it depends on you, between you and God, and then live that principled life. Be principled in your life, even though other people in the world may not share a similar conviction. And then the third thing is this. They were set up by God for success. I understand, I know you do too, that we face temptations every day. All of us will face temptations every day. Temptations of the flesh, our own flesh, temptations of the world. Temptations of the devil. All three of those things are constantly working in concert against you and me. We're constantly being faced by temptation. Somebody once said, you know the old saying, opportunity knocks? Well, somebody once said, opportunity knocks once, but temptation bangs at your front door forever. And we have to be aware of this. But, is it possible that sometimes, sometimes, What we perceive as temptation is not temptation at all, but could very well be an opportunity that God has set before us to prove us, to prove to ourselves and to others who are watching that we can be faithful and true to our principles and convictions. I think that's what's happening in this story. Again, God does not tempt anyone. So what He was doing for the Rechabites, I think is possible that He sometimes does for us. He's setting them up for success. He knows. I'm going to place this before you, because in responding to this, you're going to have the opportunity to see that you indeed are a person of principle and you are a person of conviction and you're going to live out your principles and your convictions for the glory of God despite what other people say or think or how they live. And God will sometimes give us opportunities not to tempt, but to prove. To prove to ourselves and to others that we actually can be principled people in an unprincipled world. There is nothing quite as strengthening to our faith, as in those moments when we resist those potentials for compromise, when we stand strong and we don't yield to compromise, man, that has an intrinsic strengthening effect. And I think at times God gives us an opportunity. And that's what he's doing here. And the Rechabites passed the test. And for that, God commended them and he blessed them. Look at how the chapter ends, verses 18 and 19. Then Jeremiah said to the family of the Rechabites, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. You have obeyed the command of your forefather Jonadab and have have followed all his instructions and have done everything he ordered. Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Jonadab, son of Rechab, will never fail to have a man to serve me. It reminds me of the words of Jesus in Matthew 25, 21, when he said, Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. May we all be men and women who are principled people, living in an unprincipled world.
1: Oh, is and you'll find the call. Your new life. That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this message from Jeremiah again, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Under the Teachings option, you can download our mobile app to stay connected with God's Word everywhere you go. You will also find our companion resources, These digital study guides are meant to give you even more insight into some of the studies Pastor Gary has done and are available free of charge to you. While you're there, take a minute to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify so you never miss another message. You'll also find links with more information about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you in person. Come visit us. You'll find service times and more information about Cornerstone Chapel at cornerstoneconnection.cc. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. So put a marker in your Bible where we left off today in Jeremiah and make plans to join Pastor Gary next time. Thanks again for listening to today's teaching right here on Cornerstone Connection.